and to stimulate our own worship, but it's also a great tool for us to invite other people to hear about the Lord in the most beautiful way. So I trust that you'll just think about those last-minute invitations this afternoon, those spontaneous invitations to bring people tonight. It's a really cool thing to be here and just to watch people as they kind of like drink in the the beauty of the message of Christ in in song and so forth. So it's happening tonight, and this makes this a real big day. I'm glad to be here. I don't know, some of you are more musical than others. I'm, I'm real musical, so on a day like this, I often think when I get in the pulpit, and I would, I'm not going to do this, but I often think we could just back up and just do that again. And just like put the choir back in the loft and, and just go again, just do everything again. Uh, two offerings, two, two, uh, two, uh, two choir songs. Um, we, but, but what we will do, if, if I think we can do this, and I'm going to freak everybody out up in the booth, and, and Pastor, could we get away with singing Rain in Me again at the end? So if you guys want to be thinking about that, to get that line back up at the end, we'll just because you guys sang that so beautifully, um, Lord, Rain in Me is going to be, uh, we'll sing that again. And between now and then, we're going to a place in the Bible that is just so beautiful, simple and interesting. It's a story that Jesus told, a very simple story that Jesus told. Years ago, I ran a hotel. I mean, I say ran. I didn't really run anything. There were people there that did everything, and I was sort of the figurehead there. But what was interesting is it had a restaurant in it, which is kind of cool. You know, you come down in three squares a day. I mean, beautiful meals. The restaurant was a public restaurant. You know, it was um, a public uh, food service. It had to be inspected by the state of Michigan. And... um, you wanted to make sure that you kept your license, it was important. Holly was uh, at the front desk one day, and folk were coming in, and a man came in and just kind of mumbled to her, I'm the food inspector, and she just said, okay, go on, go on back, or she said, okay, and he just went back. He went right back to the kitchen, and he inspected our kitchen. There were a couple of things in there that we would like to have made a little bit different before he got there if we had known he was coming. But we didn't. I'm not going to tell you what they were. I'm really tempted, but I'm not going to tell you what they were. But this, let's just say there were a couple of things if we'd had a minute or two of notice, we would have changed. The cook was a young guy named Dan Gross, a good friend of ours. I was corresponding with him the other day, and we're just, it was lovely memory really thinking about it. And I said, Dan, do you remember the time the inspector came and Holly sent him right back? Holly has her own version of this, but she's not preaching today. <laughs> she ought to. It would be interesting, but she... She, she sent him right back, and uh, Dan says, oh, do I remember that? Dan very graciously then goes out to the front desk after the health inspector leaves, and he says to Holly, when the health inspector comes again, do you think you could give me just a little lead time next time? Just call me and tell me he's coming back. And Holly says to me the other night, she says, shouldn't you always be ready for the inspector to come? <laughs> Well, that is way what Jesus is saying in the little story that we're going to study today in Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. And there are characters in the story. There's a, and this is a story that Jesus made up. There's a wise servant in the story, a wise steward, a foolish steward. Of course, the key person in the story is the master. And you don't have to look very hard to see yourself in this story either. So today we're going to look at this story and we're going to talk first about the wise steward. Before we do it, let's just read. This is going to be kind of in two sections, obviously. The wise steward section, the foolish steward section, and the master is all through it. 
Let's just read it together, though. This is Matthew chapter 24, and now we're looking at verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Who is a faithful and wise servant? Whom his master made ruler over his household to give him food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. Okay, a little simple story, the wise servant. Verse 48 takes a bit of a turn like a good story always does. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's take a look at the wise steward. He's wise the way he thinks. In verse 45, he's wise. He thinks the right thing. He's thinking, master could come back any time. He's wise. Second thing is faithful. He's a wise and faithful steward. What he thinks and what he does, they go together. In verse 46, you see very clearly, he does. Uh, he can be counted on to do things that are faithful, do faithful things. In this case, the master's concern for his household is that everyone is fed at the right time and cared for and not mistreated. He's compassionate. And a faithful steward makes sure that the master's wishes are fulfilled. He's wise He's faithful. Let's look at another thing. He's, he's looking forward to the return of the master. He's always looking forward to the return of the master. A wise and faithful steward of the master is always looking forward to the return of the master. It's like you don't ever have to give him any lead time. It's come right in. I've been waiting for you all along. So it says, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. It's implied he's just waiting for him. He's also then given more responsibility. And this is where it kind of breaks into the reality. Jesus is going to actually give to faithful people during this time responsibilities in the kingdom. I actually believe he's going to give those of us who are raptured in the church responsibilities in the kingdom. You may not think that's a big deal. You might think, I've got enough jobs. I don't need God giving me more jobs. Yeah, well, when you get to that point, when we see the Lord Jesus face to face and we know the reality of the living God and we're convinced face to face that Jesus is the King, what we're going to want more than anything else is, can I be a part of this? Is there any way I can help you serve? That's what you will long to do when all of your affections are right and my affections are right and my desires are right and everything's calibrated in my soul the way it's supposed to, we're going to say, how can I be involved? Can I have a stewardship in this? And he will say to those of us who are faithful, yes, you're going to have responsibilities. That's the way he's going to reward the, the faithful steward with more responsibilities. And the Bible says he is blessed. He is blessed. He's truly happy. Verse 46. So if you're ever looking for the secret to happiness, it's counterintuitive. It's not what you normally think. You're faithfully the kind of person 
who lives thinking about the future, about Jesus coming back, about the master, knowing that he's going to reward those who are faithful to him with more opportunities to serve. That's the way you think, and that's the way to be happy and blessed. That person is a blessed person. That, so I just think about this all this week. God, am I a wise and a faithful steward of yours? Do I think the way you want me to think? And do I do what you want me to do? Because I know when I think the way you want me to think, I do what you want me to do. I'll be ready and eager for you to come back, and I will be happy. I will be blessed. That's a great question for you to ask yourself. It's simple, right? This is a really simple message. There's something about the simplicity and beauty of that, isn't it? Are you a wise and a faithful steward of what belongs to your master who is going to physically appear one day. And when he does, we will wish we had done more. We will wish that we had been faithful. We will wish that we had been wise. We will wish that we had been good stewards, wise and faithful. There's another person in a story. This is, by the way, the guy you don't want to be. (laughs) Girl, you don't want to be a foolish steward. A foolish steward speaks foolishness to himself, or we could say to herself. And the story, it's a boy. <laughs> but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master's delaying his coming, look out when you think you have more time. Well, he's delaying his coming, therefore it doesn't really matter if my kitchen is inspectable. He's delaying his coming, it really doesn't matter if I'm wise and faithful. He's delaying his coming, it really doesn't matter if I mistreat other people. That's what he's going to get to here in a minute. He's delaying his coming... Maybe I'll hang out with people that are partying. Maybe I'll participate in a little partying. Maybe I'll live a little for my own pleasure and self-indulgence. Maybe even some drunkenness there. I mean, after all, I mean, he's probably not going to come back right now. But that's a foolish person, right? And he's saying this stuff in his mind. One of the characteristics of a person who's foolish is they say stupid things to themselves all the time. And I got news for you. We all say stupid things to ourselves all the time. Otherwise, you would never sin. Because before you sin, you say stupid stuff to yourself. Now, let me say that in a kind of a more um, formal way for those of you who appreciate more formality. Um, People, before they violate God's law, the meditations of their hearts aren't quite right. They say stupid stuff to themselves. And then, they act, and a lot of times it's like almost right, but not quite right. And if you actually want to help people, help them figure out the stupid stuff they say to themselves. And help them say the, speak the oracles of God to themselves. Speak to yourself the truth of God. And you're less likely to break God's law. That's really profound stuff. It wasn't original with me. It's like in the Bible and smart people noticed it and they pointed it out to me. And I try to apply this in counseling and in, and in if, you've ever, if I've ever helped you or you've ever, we talk about this, right? And that is, what were you thinking? <laughs> your mother told you that, right? What were you thinking? Did, how many of your mother said, what were you thinking? Raise your hand. See, you have no excuse. Your mother raised you, right? She's like, what were you thinking? And it's like, if you think about what you were thinking and you put it on paper and then say, what would God have me think? And you intentionally think the way God wants you to think. But the foolish steward doesn't do this. He speaks stupidness to himself. Well, Jesus isn't going to come back. He's going to come back. And then he mistreats the godly and he has fellowship with the ungodly. It's kind of a weird story. Why would Jesus say it this way? He beats his fellow servants. Did anybody do that this week? I mean, if you did that, that's bad. The good thing you came today, it's like, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe some of you did do that. 
Um, but it's just interesting, isn't it? He beats his fellow servants. Instead of feeding them and taking care of them, a steward is supposed to take care of the needs of the people that are under the ma- in the master's household. The steward's only job is to feed them on time and take care of them and show, you know, be an extension of the master's compassion on his household, not beat them, take advantage of them, and not join in, in the fellowship with the ungodly. Again, look at verse 49. He begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. He's hanging out with people who are misusing alcohol or drinking. They're, they're drunk. In verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware of. He's self-indulgent, involved in the drunkenness, and he acts as if he's not going to have to give an account to his master. He just If you watch his life, there's just no evidence that he's aware there's a God and that he's coming back. This is a foolish steward. And what's going to happen to this steward? That's not pretty at all. He will suffer when the master returns. And that is an understatement because you can't put all the, num- the words on PowerPoint and people still read them. Look at what the Bible says. It's actually pretty sobering. And you don't want to you know, like write your own Bible and write the hard parts out of the Bible. This is one of those parts that you go, oh, wow. <laughs> We're going to read it in a minute, but if you look back at verse 46, this is going to correspond with verse 51, right? The faithful and wise steward is what? Verse 46, he's blessed, which is a Bible word of like saying spiritually very happy, genuinely happy, blessed. Okay, the opposite of that is you're cut off from God and you're actually suffering eternal conscious torment, punishment away from God. This is what the Bible repeatedly teaches. Jesus taught this more than anybody else. And that's what he says in verse 51. These that are foolish stewards are not really believers. They are going to be judged by God and not in one swift judgment, but they're going to be judged and then thrown into eternal conscious punishment, torment forever. It's, it's the, the message you're kind of unlikely to hear on TV sometimes, right? But that's what Jesus taught. Verse 51, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously a reference to hell, right? Obviously a reference to hell, Jesus making. That's real serious. We have this choice. Wise steward, blessed, conscious that the master is going to return, eager to do what he wants to do, eager to think the way he wants him to think and eager to do what he wants him to do. I still want to be in that category. God, work in me, in your power and your grace and your mercy to make me that kind of a guy that is faithful and wise and doesn't have a place with the hypocrites, is what it's going to say there in 51. Not the person who is like... He's delaying his coming. I'll take advantage of people. I'll indulge myself, and I will suffer punishment. This is the. There's another character. Obviously, we've been talking about the main character, but another way to look at it is just to look at the master. And as I studied this, I just thought, look at the master who's repeatedly introduced in the. He will return, and when he returns, and this is where he's going in the Olivet discourse. You're gonna, he's going to teach you three stories, and then he's heading to the judgment. The next time he breaks out of the stories, he goes to the. He's going to judge the nations. He is the judge. Jesus is like, I am the coming judge. So he will return. When he returns, he comes to judge. And he comes to reward and he comes to judge. 
It comes a reward with great responsibility in the kingdom, which whether we have the sense to really want now, we will really want then. And He comes to judge those who've rejected Him. The wise in the kingdom have responsibilities with the Lord and the foolish are judged in eternal conscious torment. This Bible repeatedly says this. You say, are you telling me there really is a hell? Yes, that's right, because... I don't want to just like cherry pick my Bible and tear pages out and, and, and distort Jesus into a grotesque character that he really isn't. Jesus of the Bible would... Can, let me just say it like this. The Jesus is God, right? And could you worship a God that thought evil was okay? Could you w- admire a God that thought evil was okay? Could you admire and worship and delight in a person, in a God who said it's okay to do evil things to other people. No, you, wouldn't, you don't admire people that are like that. No, you admire people who have a sense of justice. And no one, no one has a sense of justice, nor is anyone able to execute vengeance like the holy God is. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. This is one of the beauties of God. This isn't the way our culture thinks about it, but we in this room need to think about God like that. One of the things that makes God God and makes God beautiful is He is a God of absolute perfect justice. God is a God of absolute perfect justice, and He will exercise vengeance when it's right for Him to exercise vengeance. But before that, He will send His only lovely, beautiful Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the price for our terrible sin so we don't ever have to suffer the judgment of God. But if we think He's never going to come and judge, we're foolish and we will be judged and the judgment will go on forever. That's a serious matter. He will return to reward and judge. By the way, That's the central truth of this passage. Jesus will return to reward and judge. Draw your own conclusions based on that. Second, he he may delay his return, and he has, right? Don't you love it when old-timers, Christians, say, if the Lord tarries, we'll have coffee on Thursday morning. You ever have an old-timer tell you that? You're like, I talk that way. Well, then you know you're an old-timer, right? You say, if the Lord tarries, that's the way the old-timers used to say it. And I say it with respect, right? If the Lord tarries, what's that mean? Because they're always going... He could come at any minute, but if he waits, tarries is an old word for he's just he ain't dallying, he's just delaying. If you think about Jesus delaying his coming, isn't that a merciful thing? Oh, it is. Oh, you, don't you have somebody you want to know the Lord? Lord, I want you to come back, can't wait to be with you, but if somebody's going to get saved on Easter, how about April 1st? You know, we want to see you right now, but, but if somebody's going to get saved on Easter, come back on April 1st. And maybe they'll get anyway. He may delay his return, and that's the whole point there. So the unbeliever, the kind of hard-hearted person, the person who doesn't care about spiritual stuff, it's kind of like pew occupiers, or they don't occupy pews. The return of Christ doesn't mean anything to them. They don't think about it. They don't. They don't. It doesn't make any difference to them. They don't. They don't get up in the morning and go, maybe Jesus will come. Back. They don't see a beautiful cloud formation and go, Jesus may burst through that cloud formation today. That's not how they think. They just think. I got to pay taxes. They think I got to go to work. I need an oil change and I'm overdue. I, you know, my neighbor irritates me. I, I wish I could shoot his dog. He's barking in the middle. You know, that's the way they, they just thought that's what they think about. I'll give you a really vivid illustration of that in a little bit. And it, and it doesn't involve my wife. It's, it's not going to happen today. I mean, um, it could, but it, but it won't today. He expects his stewards to be wise and faithful, compassionate and self-controlled. That's the picture he points of himself. Right? 
He's wise. He's faithful. He's timing his coming. He's compassionate. He wants his people fed at the right time. He's self-controlled, not indulgent in drunkenness and that kind of thing. And he says, I want my... That's the point of the story. If steward, good stewards are the people who by one action of the thought of, that men, of their, the mental process is they're meditating on the fact that I am going to return. So in a per, this is the action point here in the, in the story. If you continuously think Jesus may return at any time, you're more likely to be a person who is faithful and wise and compassionate and self-controlled. I don't think I'm going to go out and drunk, get drunk because uh, Jesus may come back. I'm not going to live for that because I've got something bigger to live for, right? That's the idea. The master is, is, will share his rule with the faithful. This is a beautiful thing about him. This was always his plan. If you look at Psalm 8, he has dominion over the whole earth, right? Who has dominion over the whole earth? The king does. The creator. All sheep and oxen, right? The birds of the air and the fish of the sea and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's him. He has dominion. But he gives us dominion. So what he does is he made us, and he started this back in the garden. He has dominion, and he wants to share his dominion with us. So in other words, he says, here's how I want the world to look. And in your little place where you live in the world, I want your little world to look, I want it to reflect my kingdom. So you can't do that to the whole world because it's a fallen world, but you can do it on your block. And this church can be a little taste, a little fragrance of his kingdom. I like to think it is every Sunday. When I come here, I hear the choir sing. Everybody's just singing the praises of God and the people are giving gifts to the Lord. And we're going to stop and we're going to open the word together and exalt Christ together. The kingdom just falls right here for a little bit of time every week. And then on Monday night when folks are coming in, they're getting helped and encouraged. The kingdom is touching down right there. And in your neighborhood, when you don't retaliate against your neighbor when he mistreats you and you're loving to him. You make cookies for your neighbor and invite him to church. Kingdom touches down right there. But one day the kingdom is coming and Jesus will be there. He wants to share his rule with us. That's so cool about him. That's so beautiful about him. He's going to involve us in his kingdom and his rule. And he will punish the foolish and the disobedient. Wow. Pretty serious stuff. How about us? Then. We talk about the wise. <laughs> we talk about the foolish. We talk about the master. Let's talk about us. What happens when we're looking up? A few things. You know, uh, before I talk about that, um, here's what I was thinking when I got to praying today. I went down on my knees and was praying. And, you know, what I always do first is before I, you know, I may step on your toes and I may be kind of rough on you. And I really think I never do that, honestly, without just being convicted myself every week. Every one of my messages I need. (laughs) So I'm praying this morning, and here's the thought that came to my mind. This is down there in my little place to pray. If a camera followed me around this week, a camera crew followed me around and recorded everything I did, everything I, everybody I talked to, and everything I did, and then there were little documentaries made a day in the life of Pastor Pierpont. Would the people who watched that documentary be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that I believe that Jesus Christ is coming to reward the faithful and to judge the fools, the foolish? And can I just extend that? I've done it to me. Can I extend it to you? What if that camera crew followed you around and recorded what you said and saw what you did and where you went and who you talked to and how you talked to them and so forth? Would they say this person? 
clearly is living for another world. They're conscious that there is a God, a master, who's going to return to this earth, and it may be any day, and he's going to judge the fools, and he's going to reward the faithful. That's a good question, I think. Helped me to think about it. I think what will happen when we think about the return of Christ is it will rise above pettiness. I don't know about you, but I can just go into pettiness so easily, little nitpicky personal things, you know. But wouldn't having our eyes on Jesus and his return, wouldn't, it ri- wouldn't we go, okay, wait a minute. Now that's just a petty little thing. We would rise above pettiness. How could you be petty? This is what came to my mind. There's an old song, Pastor, you would have, this was the 70s. I'm sure you guys would have sung this. Uh, that, 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 that wasn't a put down. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. But we would have sung this a few years ago. Remember this song? Um, Let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. Remember that? A world of men who don't want you, Lord, but a world for which you died. And then there's this phrase that always got me. Let me rise high above my petty problems. Grieve for men hell-bound eternally. Remember that? For if once I could see this world, dear Lord, the way you see it, and I know... I'd serve you more faithfully. Remember that song? That phrase came to my mind, let me rise high above my petty problems and grieve for men, how bound eternally. Folks, evangel needs to do that. Okay? You say, I'm not involved in it. When other people come to you with petty stuff, smile and go, I love you, but were you thinking about Jesus coming back today? Or we would not elevate our preferences, would we? And Jesus is coming back. That kind of trumps everything else. We wouldn't be elevating extra biblical preferences at that point, right? Let's keep moving. I don't want you to get too irritated with me. We wouldn't live for pleasure and self-indulgence, would we? If we're convinced that Jesus, the judge of the world, is coming back to judge the living and the dead and to reward the faithful, then we're not going to live for pleasure and self-indulgence. That's not what we're going to do. And we're not going to be preoccupied with the here and now, but we'll be thinking eternity. Am I right? Just think about that. We have a little phrase we like to use, and it's not bad, but like on a day off, every once in a while, we'll, we'll go somewhere, and, we'll, and my, my wife doesn't particularly like this as much as I do, because she kind of likes to know where I'm taking her. But I just say, well, we're going to follow the hood ornament today. Again, talk to an old-timer. There used to be hood ornaments on cars, right? Anyway, and, and so we're just like, we're not going to kind of really plan anything. We're just going to follow our nose. We're going we're gonna to follow the hood ornament. We're, gonna, we're not going to really plan way ahead. Again, on a day off, that might not be a bad thing. But, but as a way of living, it's, it's, not, it's not a good idea to just follow your pleasures here and there and follow your pettiness here and there and follow your preferences here and there, and, right? And follow the hood ornament. No, no. But I was doing that. I was doing that on Wednesday night after church, and I was doing it on Thursday morning. I, I really was. Something in the here and now. It just preoccupied my mind. It wasn't a big thing. It was sort of a little thing, but I was like thinking about it. It was bothering me. It was petty. It was small. Thursday morning. <laughs> Later that day, I had, I forget where I'd gone, but I stopped by the office, and I got to thinking about the little those little Michigan sour cherry ball things that you really need to have just to sweeten the workday. And I thought, I'll stop and pick a little bag of those up. So I go to the drugstore right up here north of the church, and I swing in there 
to pick a, a, a bag of those up or, or, or two. And um, there's this kid there, and it's this irritating kid. You know, he's skateboarding right like I'm not even there, just skateboarding. And no, he knows that's illegal. He knows that's illegal to do that. He knows that's rude. And he doesn't care that there are customers there. He doesn't care that... And I'm thinking to myself, why don't they just call the police, drag the kid off? You know, I mean, seriously, brat, you know, that's what I'm thinking. He's sort of a brat, you know, I'm like, look at you. And so I ignored him when I walked in. I just kind of walked past him because he's skateboarding like I'm not even there. And then I went to the candy and then all of a sudden it hit me. What I heard on Thursday morning. That there was a little 13 year old boy named Tyler who was overcome with the pain of life. In his school, just down the street from our church, he went to the bathroom and took his life. And as I was walking to get my candy, I thought about that boy out there. And I thought, how do I know he's not despairing of life? How do I know he's not lost? How do I know he needs somebody to love him and be kind to him? And if Tyler was still alive, who in the world here wouldn't have said to him, come to Arwana, we'll pay for your camp, man. You know, your girlfriend broke up with you, but you're going to have lots of pretty girls in your future. You don't have to worry about that right now. Who in his right mind wouldn't have said to him, I don't have any problems in the world that are so big that I don't have time to love on you. So I bought an extra bag of cherry sours. And the kid probably thought I was stupid. When I went out, I'd throw them to him. And he's like, what? And I go, those are great. Try them. You'll love them. And he's just like, okay. He puts them in his coat. And I drove away. And I want to challenge each of us to figure out a way to look beyond the hood ornament into the hearts of the people that are precious to Jesus around here. They're everywhere we look, right? Everywhere you look. And you don't have to look outside your own house. We don't have to look outside the walls of this church. They're in the house today, and they're all around us, everywhere. And the faithful master wants us to be faithful stewards and take care of them. And live like Jesus coming back to reward the faithful and to punish those who are not faithful. And if we're really going to sing, Lord, reign in me, that's what it means. I'll tell you one of the ways you can do it. This is not the only way. There are a lot of different ways you can do it. And the Lord will tell you better ways than I will ever tell you. But one of the things you could do is get on the phone and invite somebody to come back tonight. Honestly, just like hear about Jesus. And if you're a satisfied customer, it's like recommending a restaurant. If I recommend, if I say you come to our church, they're going, of course you say that. You're a hired gun, you know. But if you say it, you're a satisfied customer. Powerful. Powerful. Easter's coming. Henry and I were out for breakfast this week, right? And, and, and we're just like, he goes, I want to invite that waitress. We got to invite I go, you're, he says, I forgot my card. I go, we'll do it. We team up, you know. What do we do? We said to her, hey, what, you want to come? She says, I'll be there Sunday and I'll sit with you and Barb. She's going to be here Sunday. Just because we asked. How cool is that? I asked another girl. She'd been far from the Lord. I said, will you come to our young woman? I said, will you come be with us on Easter? She goes, Pastor, I need to tell you. I've been away from the Lord, but I'm back. I'm going to be over at Metro South. That's where I'm going on Easter. I'm going to go to my sister's. I said, praise the Lord. I'm so happy to hear about that. I can't tell you how thrilled I am about that. Sunday is Easter. People are most likely to come to church and receive an invitation to come to church. Please invite a whole bunch of people. On the way out today, there are little cards Pastor Michael made for us. A beautiful picture, and, and, and there's going to be a nice breakfast made for them. 
a free breakfast, and then we're just going to do what we do here every Sunday. We're going to have orchestra and choir and singing, and I'll just preach my little heart out, quit right at noon, promise, or, or thereabouts. And we'll give the gospel to them. I'll try real hard to stop at noon Sunday. We'll give the gospel to them. That's all we're doing on that day. We're not doing the evening. We're not doing Sunday school. We're just aiming at that hour right there because that's the, that, that's the hour and we're going to pray and we're going to work and we're going to invite people. That's one of the things that you could do because you believe the king is coming. And he's going to reward those who are faithful and he's going to judge those that are foolish. So invite people to church. That'd be an awesome thing. to do. I'll tell you another thing. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand because i got just a couple more minutes. But how many of you raise your hand if you're involved in a Bible study or a small group? There's about 12 of them. I was talking with Jim Moore this week and we didn't even count Jim and B. I hope I'm not getting in trouble because I don't have permission to say this, but I'm just going to. And anyway, so we, they've been having a Bible study in their house for years, right? Or a couple years. Like, you know, just, they've been doing that before it was cool. You know, they just were doing it. And, and, um, I was talking to him and I said, you do Bible study, don't you? He goes, well, we do too. I meet with the men and I meet with that just because that's what they do. They, and people come to know the Lord because of that and gotten closer to the Lord. That's what they do because they believe Jesus is coming back. And he's going to reward the faithful, and he's going to judge the fools. Lois and I don't have a ton of extra time, but we're committed to this small group thing. So, uh, John opened her home for us to have a small group there. Beautiful home, beautiful place. We go out there, and folks have gathered with us every Tuesday night. We met, and she makes nice things to eat, and too much, and, and, and we just have a nice time. And we talk about the Lord. It's a sweet, simple time. And we pray, and it always feels like you got to make yourself go away because you could stay and talk for hours, but you really need to go, you know? And we said to our people last week, we said, well, you know, you probably are tired of us, and maybe we should do it every other week instead of every week, and maybe we should And they go like, no, let's keep doing it every week. And Lois and I were driving back thinking, they liked it. That is so, that is so cool. We both were like, they want to do it every week. We, we came up with this idea. This is our idea. You come up with your own idea. Here's what Lois and I came up with. Here's what we're going to do. When we're done, we're going to take that group. We're going to meet with them until May. And then we're going to say goodbye to that group. And we're going to, another person's going to lead it. And we're going to go and we're going to start another group. Lois and I are going to find, maybe you can invite us to your house and bring your friends. And we'll start a group in your house and meet with you guys for 10 weeks or so. And there are others that are doing that. We group meets in the evenings on Saturday night. There's others. There's like 12. Here's what I was going to ask you guys, so I kind of distracted myself. Ladies' Bible studies, men's Bible studies that have been going on. Pastor, how old is yours? Yours is like, how many years have you been doing it? I, I know you love being put on the spot. 16 years, 17 years. Men's Bible is like quiet. Every other Sunday, every other morning. Sometimes there's donuts left over, and I cherry-pick the donuts. I never go to the Bible study, but sometimes I eat the extra donuts. Um, that's why the man I, I am the man I am today. Um, 16, 17 years of that. So it's not a new, that's not a new thing. It's been going on. We got some new ones. How many of you are involved in a Bible study or in a small group? Raise your hand and leave it up. You're involved in a Bible study or in a small group. Raise your hand and leave it up. That's awesome. Here's a goal that we have. And this is just an idea. Since we believe the king is coming, he's going to reward the faithful and he's going to judge the fools then why not get involved in a little Jesus group and try to influence people to live for the Lord and try to invite people to live for the Lord? It is a hundred ways you can do it. But this is what we call living beyond the hood ornament. Who knows, maybe there'll be a little like Tyler Nichols out there. Because of our diligence, we got him into our Awana program or our youth program and maybe somebody paid his way to camp and maybe he has you know, his bearings in life when hardship comes and we can save some of those kids. Amen. Because Jesus is coming. And he's going to reward a faithful. And he's going to judge the foolish. Let's sing together. Okay.